What is going on, humans of the apocalypse? Yeah, that's my new favorite intro. That's what I say to everybody now. How's it going in the apocalypse? Many birthdays in the apocalypse. Many work job meetings in the apocalypse. Rare encounters with other humans in the apocalypse. It's a weird time. It is a weird, weird time. And it's just odd, mainly because it's, it's topsy-turvy. You know, things are going in a way that I've never seen them go before. You know, I'm looking at um, my street and I've never seen so many people on it talking to each other. It's just this really weird social um, experiment, for lack of a better description, a giant experiment almost. It almost feels rigged to a certain degree, like this was meant to happen, to turn everything on its head, to make it different, to flip us all out. I don't know. My tinfoil hat says there's things that we don't know, which is weird. I don't want to think that way, but it only seems that way uh, because of the polarity there is around all the information and the different things. But at the end of the day, I've given up on the information. Kind of keep in sync, understand where the numbers are at, the mathematic algorithm that might be going on. But outside of that, the noise around it, it's just crazy. I mean, in Australia, we literally, by midnight tonight, are no longer going to be allowed in groups of more than two unless you're with your family. And uh, you're facing uh, penalties of uh, upwards of $11,000 fine and six months in jail just for breaking the rules. It's going to be nuts. It is the purge of sorts. Uh, (laughs) It's just totally nuts. Anyways, it's all for the greater good. Uh, These are the things that we are going to do in 2020. A weird time to be alive, I'll tell you that. I, I don't know that I would have thought in my life that I would have to go through a thing like this. You know, one of the things I was talking to my kids about, and, you know, and it's relevant for me as well, and the thing that, you know, people of, uh, I guess what we might call that boomer generation, would be screaming about, or, or just sort of post-boomer generation, is, is that we've never had to live through anything like this. We've never had to do anything. We've never had to sacrifice you know, they're saying, you know, uh, they're, the analogy, you know, that we're being faced with is, is that back in World War II, you were conscripted and went to war. I guess Vietnam would have been the last one of those, but the World War, the whole world was uh, involved in World War II, and you went and fought for your country. That's what your country asked you to do, and now we're being asked to sit home and watch Netflix. And it's just this insane idea that we have no concept of this sacrifice that we're meant to make, and as a result... Um, are acting like idiots. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of mental, sociological, uh, psychological things going on. Everybody has a different thing going on. And I suppose one of the things I want to call out uh, before I kick into the podcast today is, is that, you know, hey, if you're not feeling it, if you're not into it, if you're having a hard time, there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, that can help you uh, get through this moment. You know, there there are things that you can do to help yourself. There are things that you can do to, you know, effectively keep you motivated to keep the mental game going, you know, to keep yourself fresh, right? And um, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that there are there is help out there. There are things, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, services that you can get a hold of to to help you with all these things. And, um, you know, here in Australia, there's things like Beyond Blue. Um, You know, if you're having a hard time, there's beyondblue.org.au. You know, if you're younger and you need help, there's Kids Helplines. In Australia, there's the kidshelpline.com.au. There's specific things for men and and dealing with the emotions and the relationship side and any concerns they got with the men's line. 
www.org.org.au. Um, for veterans and, and general family counseling of veterans, there's open arms, openarms.gov.au. Lifeline is in general the thing for any person who is in crisis, uh, lifeline.org.au. And if you're in the dark side of it all and you're feeling those suicidal type feelings, um, there's a suicide callback service, uh, you know, for those that need it. And it's a really simple thing to uh, reach out and call these services. And those are in Australia, uh, 24-7 mental health services uh, that you can get a hold of. Um, you know, and obviously if uh, there's an emergency, you all know the drill. You call Triple O in Australia or 911. But I think the point here is, is that, you know, we're in for some mental health stuff you know, both going through this and coming out of it. There's services available to you. And I know this is a bit dark and decrepit, um, not my normal jam, but I think it's important to call out that, you know, we're going through something that we've never been through before. And it's important you get that help when you need it. Um, so that being said, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my, my guest, my interview. Um, I am struggling to get these edits done. I tell you what, working from home has made my life entirely more busy than it's ever been at home. I am constantly on the run at home. I mean, my work is far busier than it has been in the past, uh, twofold because I'm now remote COVID style and also because uh, of the fact that we kicked off some major project work and I'm involved in that too. But outside of that, it is hectic to you know hit the evening and kind of go, wow, what, did, uh, what do I do? Do I have the time to get this edit done? Um, my guest that came on uh, for this this particular episode is Paul Armstrong. Paul Armstrong, first and foremost, has one hell of an accent. Uh, I thought whilst listening and, and talking to him, interviewing him, that there's possibility that there may need to be subtitles at a certain point. But at the same time, you know what? That's the beauty of, of Paul and his uh, somewhat beautiful accent. I find uh, very intriguing to listen to and, and to chat with. He is by and large, one of the more inquisitive, sort of curious people in a conversation I, I've, I've had an interview with. He both has opinion but wants to understand yours. He wants to have a balance of a conversation. He wants to learn and take on a broader spectrum of thinking. And every time I've sat down with Paul to have a chat or do anything and interact with him, it's engaging. There's a sort of compassion in the way that he's dealing with with uh, the potential work or the potential conversation or whatever's at hand. Um, otherwise, it's generally just a jovial sort of guy that you're sitting with having a good laugh. Um, I was uh, very curious to interview Paul, primarily because he's he's started a successful agency business. He's been through the rigor of getting through to the other side of something like that, growing it seeing some uh, accolades, uh, getting these sort of changes and dynamicness going on inside of a workplace and seeing the the way at which you build people up, build teams up, build a business up through of humans. And I thought it was uh, interesting that the the organic nature of the interview went to, you know, just the human side of all of this. You know, what is it that we all get to do on a regular basis? <laughs> on the reg, sounds horrible. On a regular basis and, you know, engage. You know, we don't get to, as they say, pick our coworkers, but we spend more time with them uh, than we do our own family. But you also don't get to pick your family and you spend time with them. So anyways, it's all a bit weird. Um, 
But yeah, Paul uh, was gracious enough to jump on the show. I'm doing everything remote, so uh, there was a little brief moment where this we lost a little bit there, but um, the gist of it comes through uh, as it cleans up. Um, it was only brief, uh, you know, but it is the nature of the world we're living in in that remote structure. For the foreseeable future, all of my uh, interviews will be uh, from afar, over the interwebs, over the phones, what have you. Um, but without further ado, this is Paul Armstrong. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, the guy that I chose to interview just this last week. Uh, I'll talk to you guys in the outro. And now over to you, Joe. So the best way to do to my best analogy for you is, is that I'm driving the car. You're sitting shotgun. And I'll just let you know how I'll just keep going. If I, if there's things that are that I want to key in, I'll just start asking you questions about those. And we'll dig into them a bit. Um, but otherwise, I've got a bit of a pattern, and we'll just roll through it. Awesome. All right. Cool, mate. So, a, po- a podcast virgin, sir. <laughs> Never yeah, have I ever done a podcast. Is that what we're going to say here? <laughs> Never ever ever. <laughs> Paul, it's great that you're here today on this show. Um, I will let you know that my son has told me I'm not allowed to call it a show. I do run with this every once in a while. It's a podcast. He said it's not a show, Dad. But because it's my podcast, I get to call it a show. That would be my 15 year old child correcting me on the etiquette of the world that I live in, right? Um, you can do what you want. Yeah, do what you want. Apparently, because he can do whatever he wants too, which makes it sort of <laughs> ironic that he corrects me. Um, but mm-hmm. I, you know, this is where I'm, I'm fleeting from being cool. Apparently I'm not, I'm not, not cool anymore. Um, uh, but Paul, uh, welcome aboard this ship. Uh, Paul, you and I have known each other, uh, for quite some time. I, I was thinking about the other day, like I've known you not, you know, like indirectly, like professionally and t- sort of off and on a few different, you know, and we bump into each other every so often, but God, it's gotta have been, I'm going to push pi- probably nine years, eight or nine years. I think so. And, and Maybe I, a and decade. I did notice- yeah, I was trying to think. So when you're um, in my phone, your your name is still associated with the firm. Uh, I won't mention the firm. That's fair. But the firm we met at, yeah. it was the firm we met at all that time ago. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was a little bit of a blast of the past. I do remember heading up to that um, that particular firm and um, having some chats up there. So yeah, I think it must have been maybe eight, nine, ten years. Yeah, yeah. somewhere. I mean, in t- there. Yeah, I think t- t- time can be a bit of a blur sometimes, especially when you um, when you get a little bit older. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then I, you know, sort of the the uh, there's a couple of interesting points that I remember about sort of knowing you and sort of kind of getting to know you over the years is that one uh, we were doing a project at that place that we first met, and uh, you you looked at me and said to me that when you were building the project that you had to register me as a risk to the project. <laughs> did I? <That laughs> well, you did. I forgot that. <laughs> just for the sake of the fact that they, you know, like you guys knew that I wasn't gonna, you know, I think you phrased it in the terms of that you guys would have to be very clear about what you're doing. Cause I had a good handle of what I wanted to get done. Right. And that, you know, you guys would have to really dot your eyes, you know, and all that sort of stuff because, you know, normally most people are <clears throat> leveraging you as experts, but I kind of was leveraging you guys as both experts and also arms of getting work done. And I think that, you know, I thought that was hilarious. What do you guys look yeah. at me? It said, you're a risk at our project. I was like, well, damn, that's a first. Yeah. And I think you were probably in a, at a time in an atypical, individual i mean what, what we do or what i do we deal with oh I, I lose track of how many different type of um individuals or organizations we work we work for or work with over the years and sometimes there's there's obviously personas and stereotypes mm. um and then sometimes you, you do come across those those shall i say outliers yeah uh, which is which is always interesting 
Mm. Yeah. It's, it is it is interesting, you know, the outliers. Did I lose you, by the way? Uh, no, no, no. no oh, good. No. Sorry, sorry. The, the, the case, maybe. Um, yeah, and it, it, I think on the flip side, it is it is sometimes risky to pigeonhole people. I mean, we we work with people. We don't work with job titles, but yeah. every person do has a job title, and sometimes it's, it can be dangerous to, you work with a CMO or a CTO or a CIO or a yeah. head of marketing or whatever the job title may be. Sometimes it can be, it, it can be easy to, to, to put those pigeonhole those people into the, the roles where, well, I think more, more so one thing I've done in the last eight dozen years, or probably now 14 years of running a small creative agency, if you want to call it that, is um, every single person's different. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, mm. um, but I think the, 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 the more time you spend with more people, you, you, you um, I think cliches are, can sometimes be, be be quite handy things to fall back upon, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can yeah. agree more with that. I mean, I think that one of the unique aspects of you know what we are kind of having to do to make money is is engaging with other humans. I mean, some people can be very difficult, right? Like that's normal. Uh, some people have their own game they're playing with themselves to kind of keep going. Um, but in some scenarios, you actually can create you know cool little teams, little moments where things go really well, and you can enjoy enjoy the work and and create some cool artifacts as a result of that engagement. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the tricks. I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of course I've got in with course plastered up the wall of the home office, and I'll probably get this one wrong because it's not in the room I'm in, but it's a Hemingway quote. It says, "When you stop doing things for fun, you might as well be dead." Yeah. And I think sometimes people forget that. I mean, one of the one of the one of the um, I think the, the bits I love about having a creative agency is you, you, you're out there problem solving, you're meeting different people all the time, mm. you're getting to understand, you're getting to know them as, as people. And, and sometimes it, it can become a job. And and I think when you get to the point when you start thinking of things like, my company is selling this service to that firm, yeah. it's very transactional, where it's always trying to remember the, 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 the person. And, and, and also people have, people change and people evolve and people have good days, people have bad days. And, um, I think trying to um, keep that front of mind when you're when you deal with those people is is, is sometimes challenging, but I think sometimes that, that that's what brings a bit of um, interest to um, to to a profession, really. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I th- and I think that that's always something that struck me about you, which was kind of the second thing that I uh, often recall was is that you know after we met, and then there was a period of time where things changed for me, and I, I no longer worked at that place, and I was kind of in between what I was going to do, and I had this kind of crazy idea that I would start my own business. And you were one of the first people I called to say, well, you did this. How the hell did you do this? And you took the time out to meet with me, you know, have a beer and kind of walk me through the sort of organic nature of kind of how you created what you would, what you were doing at that time, which I always was very um, grateful for because, you know, I didn't actually pursue that in the end. Um, it was very, you know, like, uh, like anything, any startup or anything like that where you create something from nothing is very difficult. There's a little bit of luck involved, and I wasn't really getting that type of luck from a customer perspective. Everything was very small, and I kind of got to the point where I just had to take a job to get, you know, pay my bills. So I was in a different spot. But I did. Uh, I do often recall that, you know, it is it is that human interaction. It always strikes me as with you. Every time we bump back into each other, whether that be because I figure out that you and I both know somebody and then, you know, we're there or that I'm with that person and then you just slip out of the bar and we go, I was like, that, I know that guy. And they're like, mm-hmm. you know, no, I do know the yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, well, like, well, 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 I'm glad to hear that it wasn't, I, I didn't, I didn't talk you out of that venture at the time. <laughs> I no, feel a bit not, bad not if at I, all. I dissuaded you. If <laughs> anything, you, you gave me a reality check on 
the magnitude of what it would be should I go for it. Um, and what actually it did do is it created a bit of a truth serum for me to consider that in order for me to really do this, there is a, a level of magnitude on the types of jobs I have to be able to get and the customer and the network that I need to get a hold of. And it wasn't that it was like a, a moment of like clarity, but it kind of, as the time rolled by me chasing this, it turned into me going, I don't really know enough people anymore that are going to help me you know, generate wealth here. You know what I mean? Like I don't have that without really just somehow going everywhere. And I was going everywhere trying to meet new people, but it just wasn't eventuating. So I think it was timing uh, and and the network that I had at the time to like generate projects effectively. I just didn't mm -hmm. have big projects, which is what I needed, was a couple of big projects and it just didn't happen. Uh, and I think, I think that almost ties back to the early point just around people buying off people. And, yeah. and, and you mentioned the term luck and, and I know there's a cliche as you make your own luck and that type of thing. But um, I think a lot of time it's, it's um, I remember reading an article years ago and, and often people don't understand this when I say because my accent's quite strong, but um, you should call and see what uh, called serendipity. And, mm -hmm. and the crux of the article was put yourself out there as many places as possible and you'll never know what, you'll never know what happens. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes um, small businesses anyway, and I can only speak from a small business point of view and really only speak from the context of digital services in Sydney, but um, sometimes you can have a plan and that's great, but you never quite know what's going to happen and um, you can spend a lot of time strategizing and planning a page and that's all great. And uh, I, I think it's important to just keep that openness to um, network and um, meet as many people and get as much energy. Remember, you are reaching out. And I, I do get people at the same time reach out and ask, um, how I did it or what my journey was and I'm often a little bit nervous around um, dictating that or narrating that particular journey because uh, it was very unique to myself I, yeah. I think and um, yeah I mean um, I don't know what percentage of people take the approach you did Joe a while ago where you've, you've had a uh, let's call it a corporate career and you want to go into a more startup or mm. um, I, I, I don't know if you, I'd be honest to know if you've got any stats around how many people try it and how many people love it and how many people hate it. Um, I don't know if you've come across any stats around that. No, well, I, I've not, no. I mean, I, I'm in a world now where we kind of generate, uh, for lack of a better description, project startup type things that could eventually turn into businesses. Um, not that, that that's corporate sort of stuff. So it never really eventuates into that. But the idea is to give it that that flair of giving sort of corporate people the opportunity. And I've worked in a few of these environments now where we're giving sort of intrapreneurs, right, the ability to flex their muscles and kind of almost do a similar thing. And those, I'm not going to say that they always work out. Um, normally, it's the constraints of the organization that slow that down more than anything. But generally, with people given the resources can do stuff with it if they're motivated. I think that that's very true. Um, you know, you go out in, on your own, and it's a very different set of resources. So those that, you know, I've seen, I've come across a few different walks of people that have gone out with their own money and tried to back themselves and failed miserably. Um, and, and I've seen people also do incredibly well. Um, you know, in my experience, and that was more from an advisory of, you know, what have you got? What's your IP and what are you trying to do with it? Uh, through to like, you know, actually kind of being on a part of an incubator as a tech person. Um, so there's mm. different, you know, I, I, what I realized about myself is, is that primarily I'm a maker of things. I'm, I, I can make things and I need the resources to do that. If I don't, um, you know, then it's almost unwieldy for me because my brain kind of, doesn't operate well enough to get mm. everything done. I, it, it, I kind of sit in a great space of give me a strong team, um, give me the the resources required to finance that team, and give me that objective that I can that we can all buy on, and I'll get that thing done. 
Um, and that I'm very good at doing. Uh, but, but outside of that, I've, I've found that, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, once some certain problems are solved or certain things are unsurmountable or insurmountable, I kind of go, Oh, is it worth it? You know, I'm one of the first people to call out something that may not work, um, as well. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I guess my, I'm not, I don't know that I'm wired to be a true founder startup guy specifically. Um, yeah. And did you yeah. think I could do with a bit, a bit of self-awareness? I mean, I, oh. I mean, I sort of wonder, uh, someone asked me recently, would I start again? And I sort of wonder, at the stage of life I'm now at, a bit older with kids as opposed to a bit younger, no kids, no mortgage, <laughs> maybe naive optimism comes into play. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think maybe when I, I started, I probably wasn't that self-aware really. I think I probably had a, 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 bit, a, a bit of hubris and a, a bit of drive, whereas I think at a later stage in life now, I mean, I wonder whether I'd, I, I definitely wouldn't make the same, do the same journey. Yeah. I think part of that comes down to maybe that's, that self-awareness. Um, mm. I mean, I, I sort of wonder, maybe if people talk about IQ and EQ, I sort of wonder if organizations are getting better. I mean, you're, you're probably better, but you would be better place than I'd be, Joe. Is there such a thing as organizational OQ or um, corporate Q, corporate quotient? Or yeah. um, are you seeing organizations becoming more self-aware so, than a lot of people are? I think, so I, that's a very interesting question and one that I often think about I think there's two parts to that problem in my in my sort of unlearned opinion, and that is one: corporate machines very much have a operating model that exists to benefit, in the truest sense, shareholders and boards and CEOs and that C-suite, right? So fundamentally, they don't really care whether you have EQ or a, a corporate EQ. They call it business acumen, right? Um, and that sort of can you you know do the job really really well is all they really traditionally would have looked for. So I think we're in a mode where, and it kind of loops back to what we were talking about before with all this now remote working, it's like we've lived in a world where the machine has existed for a long period of time. And once a, a organization is large enough, it, it kind of churns through and makes a lot of money, revenue, and then has its profits and it goes through and pays its dividends. And you can become a part of that, right? Um, but now I'm starting to see an influx of mindfulness, uh, you know, sessions, things where people are trying to have more of a balance of life. You know, I think we're fortunate in Australia to now have, you know, a sort of mental health awareness that just has not and does not normally exist in many uh, walks of life, right? Um, when I was at the ABC, mental health, you know, was a massive thing and balancing your life out. Um, you know, and it even came up in my job today where somebody had said, oh, I'm kind of doing some work out of hours. And the guy that was leading the project kind of mentioned, hey, look, we should have a balance here. You shouldn't have to feel like doing that and let us know, you know, like we got to pull those strings to make sure we're all more mentally healthy. And I think that's the gateway, you know, to getting a level of sort of, you know, corporate IQ. Um, because I'm finding now that, that the, you know, your ability to work with others is probably the most important thing, you know, that your ability to, you know, understand who you are and how you fit matters more than anything for your success long term. Um, you know, you see people grinding all the time, just trying to get their own sort of things done and their biases and they're carrying it around. And they generally, you know, wear out their welcome fairly quickly in a corporate environment. I, it's sort of a, a, a shift. I don't know if it's a full change, but um, yeah, I think in time yeah. it'll happen. But, uh, you know, um, emotional yeah, well, intelligence well, well, is a thing they call out now. Having that is a big deal. So Yeah, and I think probably the term EQ is now sort of a dinner table discussion that mm. parents have with children or yeah. partners have together, whereas maybe 20 years ago it was a bit more of an academic term. And I think that sort of cultural fit and that self-awareness I think that's becoming more more of a driver. And again, I think we're very fortunate in Australia um, at the moment. And I think uh, quite a lot of my peers or people I know 
obviously finances finances is is a deciding factor on where you work and mm. there's, a, there's an income um, income people want to attain. But I'm seeing more and more people are that that income will get you so far. But then it's is this job meaningful for me? Is it purposeful mm. for me? Am I a good fit? And I'm in a conversation with a friend recently, and um, she'd been working at one place and then went to a different. Which she moved to a, um, uh, a, a American, a large American technology firm, mm-hmm. and all about work-life balance. And it was a case of well, but everyone's work-life balance is different. Somebody's work-life balance might want to work, work a bit more and have a, <laughs> a bit less life. Yeah. And if you put yourself in a situation, it was almost you can. Um, some people want to work fourteen hours a day. Some people want to work eight. Some people want to. And I think if you have that awareness of one, what you, what drives you, what motivates you, um, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing much more of that. I mean, I, I, again, I'm biased. I mean, we work in a world, or I work in a world full of psychologists. So you, you, we talk about biases all the time. So mm. I sometimes think, I mean, I'll bring my own biases to a conversation about bias. Um, but but I do sort of feel as the, the broader um, society. I mean, do you feel that, George? Do you think that that those terms EQ or um, that, 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 that's not a, that's not like a sort of highbrow intellectual conversation anymore. I think that's more general. I think it's more something even. that people are talking about. You know, I think that we're, we're, so it's sort of one of those odd, odd, um, benefits of having a safe society where we're not really challenged. I've been, I've been grappling with this, you know, not to get too over the top with coronavirus, but like this and in itself is one of the most, um, potentially socially devastating things we've had happen in such a long time, right? Um, Next to World War II or any major wars, right? The the impacts of this are far more global and far more big, but but also so confusing because we have to lock ourselves up in order to deal with it, right? And, you know, like this type of a thing, um, you know, had it, it is, is probably the ultimate risk thing to our our society because we've lived in such a safe world right we you know can walk around staring at our phones you know in the middle of traffic and cars won't run us over you know because there's you know like they're like oh look at that you know this idiot you know like you can walk down the street literally watching tv now and and you know and that's normal you know like we we just live in a real safe safe world you know and that's a good thing but it's not challenging and it doesn't change who we are. But what it off, what it, the byproduct of that, I believe now, is, is that we can be far more intellectual about our approach to things because those pressures aren't there. It's very easy now to attain a job, like get it, but the hardest part is now keeping that job from a competitive landscape. And you start to think about, you know, operational uh, performance of individuals inside of a company and then inside of a team, inside of a, a working group, inside of a, you know, a part of a business. And, you know, you can always, you can now very much tell those people that, you know, aren't, aren't working well, well, they're not a fit. You know, you mm. we talk about things from a cultural perspective now, sometimes as an excuse to say something doesn't work, but sometimes from that proper cultural perspective of, well, we don't actually work that way. You know, there's a majority of us that operate in a very different way. And, you know, you're going to have to kind of change the way you work in order to fit in this culture because this is what we see as the successful measure of our business, right? And that's when we start to see those things around people needing to be more emotionally intelligent and self-aware and have the correct mindset in their approach to both their life and their work and how they operate in order to be successful in just the normal capacity of a job. Um, you know, it's very different to say, and this isn't to minimize different types of work, but this is a, it's sort of the sectors of work. It's very different to say work at McDonald's these days, um, you, know, you know, but it hasn't changed much, 
right? Uh, versus to get a job working in tech, which has changed dramatically in the last 10 years. You know, you've had to mold yourself dramatically differently in the last decade of technology versus if I, you know, was to work and get a job 10 years ago at McDonald's versus getting a job now at McDonald's, really the major changes that have happened there are possibly the way that which the food's created, but fundamentally the output's the same. And then the way at which ordering now takes place, I am not necessarily required to handle cash as such as much. Um, the orders just happen, right? I'm there as a customer service representative to make sure you get your food. So like, you know, that's not a massive change of just kind of working, you know, and that's not to minimize it. That's just the nature of that type of a job. Um, yeah, well, that's what I suspect maybe in a, in a corporate environment, where it's I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, you had an office job. Office jobs didn't change that much, whereas mm. the advent of technology, I, I do think it creates a lot of stress for individuals. I think everyone's always looking at their shoulder, what's coming next. Mm. I mean, you've got the whole um, talk around machine learning, AI, all these types of terms that a lot of people don't understand, a lot of people use incorrectly. Mm. And it, I think it does create a lot of fear. It's like, well, I, I was good at my job, I enjoyed my job, and unless I keep changing and adapting, changing, changing and adapting has obviously got a lot of benefits. But I do wonder if it creates a lot of um, stresses that weren't historically um, weren't historically a thing that people had to consider, really. Um, and also, I think you look at the global supply chains or global economy, whereas Furman, firm in, um, anywhere in Australia has got, not firm, but a lot of firms are completely on a global mm. um, a global space, which means they've got a constant drive for efficiency. And um, yeah, I wonder if a lot of people are worried about how long their particular not necessarily just job, but they're actually professions going to last really, which can create a lot of a lot of stress from the from back in the days of having a job for life. Yeah, I think nowadays yeah, often a, a good profession. I mean, I think even an hour in an hour working careers, I'm sure there's been professions that didn't exist before we started and that don't exist anymore. Mm. And we're not just talking companies and jobs; it's actually entire disciplines. Yeah, um, which is um, so. Yeah, so I think I think that, that 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 awareness. I think people have to have. An awareness of that, and I think sometimes the, the, the downside is you can create a lot of maybe maybe you spend people can spend a lot of time chasing shadows, really, mm. um, which has a, the opposite effect from efficiency. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, you know, and, and it's sort of like that. You know, that concept, like if Moore's Moore's law is like a, that uh, that component of like the technology curve and things. You know, uh, the speed at which uh, technology gets better, faster, uh, more uh, available, and the cost of it going down. That's now tied to many industries, right? And so, you know, as many industries have uh, developed, they've tied themselves to that curve of technology. Um, but, you know, if you go back, you know, in time, there's been like, you know, like the same thing happened with Blackberries and email. Everybody freaked out about that. Uh, and that being portable email, you know, in your pocket versus having to go to an anchored desktop computer or a laptop that was on the network. Um, that was a big shift in another direction. And then if you think about virtualization, that was a massive scare to all the IT, you know, teams out there thinking we're all going to lose our jobs. You know, I often um, recollect those conversations because I was in IT strategy at the time. And it was everybody screaming about how they're going to lose their jobs. But no one was saying, well, I better learn this stuff quickly so that I have a job. You know, and oftentimes I think people's, you know, sort of, inability to see that stuff that's really eq not existing to a certain extent of going well i can see the writing on the wall i know where it's going to go right because i can look you know behind me to see the changes i can look forward to see what's kind of coming um rather than having a, a growth mindset they may be having that sort of fixed mindset and going no i need to protect this i'm only i only am comfortable here um you know rather than going well 
I'm going to have to figure out how to do this, you know, virtualization. I might as well start looking at, you know, what does it mean to use these technologies and so that I can become an asset. Um, that's the wiring I'm trying to put into my children's brains. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, change is always happening. Uh, you have to be able to react, react and adapt to that change in real time, always finding the opportunity for you to grow with it rather than be, you know, sort of the waste that falls off to the side of whatever it is you're up against, whether that be sport, whether that be, um, you know, your academics or whether that be jobs in the future, you know, you do need to find a way at which you can modify with the changes that are happening, even if you don't like them, um, you know, especially. Uh, uh, yeah. In education, I mean, education is interesting. It's like uh, how quickly can the curriculum or um, in any country keep up with, 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 with the changing syllabus? So, um, I mean, you might know, Joe, I have to admit I don't in terms of how much is taught in, in schools versus either in primary or secondary school around growth mindset and versus um, fixed mindset. I don't know whether they're terms, mm. but I suspect they use, we use them in a house. I'm not sure if they're used within schools. And uh, I mean, it's tricky for any educational authority to keep up. I mean, you've got professionals in industry and you've got firms in industry that are driven by margins and stakeholders and shareholders that are struggling to keep up. I think it's always, I think government's often easy to easy to pick upon where it's very difficult to change a, um, a large institute such as a, educational provider. I don't know if you've got any thought on that. Yeah, I, I actually, I mean, more recently I've had that sort of thought in my head around the disparity between the rate at which possibly education has changed so much and the, the operating model of school and how it no longer fits with the corporate world and the potential uh, breakage of the, you know, sort of generations coming through into what is a really, truly old, staunch model. Um, you know, you look at now like that sort of, you know, for lack of a better description, the participation medal awards, you know, that you give to every child for participating now going into the workforce where if you're shit, you're shit and you're not going <laughs> to get a job. That That mm -hmm. is a real black and white way of giving the analogy there. But, you know, the corporate environment, you know, that is progressive is starting to, you know, specialize very specifically. The role that you have is very, very narrow. You fit into, a, <clears throat> you know, a broader thing. Um, it's an interesting, you know, space when kids are now at school and I look at my kids at school, you know, and they talk, they get, um, mindset happens in sport a little more now. They talk about it there. And so if kids are exposing themselves to sport and a little bit of that, they're getting a little bit more of these concepts around, you know, like how do you, you know, look at things. Um, my kids have, you know, bounced these ideas back at me um, in varying degrees. But when I look at the education system, and, you know, if you look back, you know, to when you were in school, and think about, you know, how you did homework, how you learned things, how your teachers taught you, what the classroom was set up to do for you, what tools were available to you then. And then you think, you know, look and, you know, get somewhat intimate with the way that your kids are doing it. You know, they don't even teach math the same way. You know, they don't teach, you know, English is similar, but the concepts of where they're trying to take kids with that stuff is different. Um, you know, the, the topics of history are the same. Uh, and the way they engage it, that hasn't changed much. So there's, but there's aspects of the way that the learning takes place, the way that they allow the kids to be wrong in that environment, the way that they grade the 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 papers, the way that they have a curve in place to ensure that kids are less defeated and more engaged in the the knowledge gaining activity than the actual grading of it. Um, you know, grades have almost disappeared to a certain degree in any real pass failing situation, unless your kids are truly failing, you don't really get an indication of where they're at in the curve. Um, you know, this, sorry, this is very specific from my experience, by the way, uh, in a private school environment. And, you know, so, you know, and I've had this conversation with a few different individuals and it hasn't, you know, it's resonated to a certain degree, but 
I just think that by the time you know my kids get out into the world, if the corporate environments haven't modified the way that they house employees and house this these generations of different thinkers, um, you know, we're going to see more of an influx of people, you know, spinning out into the startup world as opposed to corporate. You know, build, building very specific disruptive industries and and um, you know products and things like that because it's far more entertaining to do it for yourself than to go in and be told that you're not good at what you do because it doesn't fit into a hierarchy you don't understand um, or the pressure. Yeah, model. I thought about that. Mm. Yeah, and I point there when you say you're out. I mean, it, it is a brutal place. I think that, mm. that the working world. Um, is brutal. I think sometimes people can forget that. I mean, working, founding a small business and effectively not a tech startup, but an agency startup. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's hard. But then on the flip side, I have a lot of friends and know a lot of people who've worked at corporate and I don't know a job for life. There, there, there's brutality there. Yeah. I mean, brutality is a hard word, but um, uh, a safe job or, or a safe option of going to work in a, in a big four bank or a safe option of going to work in a government department. I don't mm. think they're very safe anymore. Whereas maybe, 10, 15, 20 years ago they were. And I sort of wonder if you're being in control of your own destiny a bit more. Yeah, there's lots of challenges, but just to, to a lot of degree, you've got more control over some of them. Um, I mean, have you, have you seen that in your experience over the last 10 years? Have you seen the corporate world becoming less job secure? Or Yeah. Um, is it job security or, well, I think it could be. Um, I think it kind of goes back to the 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 landscape changes very quickly now due to technology shifts, right? And you have to be on top of that. So you have to ride that, you know, new technology coming through, new curves, new tools, new things, new ways of working. You know, you look at the way that, say, Agile, just as a practice, the, the staunch manifesto, and how many versions of that are there now for delivering things? Um, different ways of working, you know, the, how many different ways of working can you come up with when you start a project? I mean, you have to have that as an earmarked thing of we will decide how we will work before we begin to work as a team. It's like, man, this is crazy, right? We have to agree first so that we get the maximum effort. So there's so many different little weird things, we rituals we now have in the workplace that you know, some places pick a pattern and if that doesn't fit with you, you may not want to stay there for long or you learn that it can be better and then you leave. So long, like, I guess job security and all that may not be a thing anymore. Around, it more is around job satisfaction and people leaving as a result that they're just not satisfied and quite possibly can go get a job where they're more satisfied elsewhere. Um, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's all purpose. I mean, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the B Corp, the, uh, the B Corp organization, the movement, and that, that's something that, that, that we're going down the path of um, B Corp certification. Mm. Um, one, because it's, it's a really, I think it'll drive some fantastic practices internally and a bit more awareness mm. um, around what, 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 what the impact of any organization is. Um, but, but also because the team members, senior leadership, myself included, you don't just want to go to work and get paid. No, um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the number of projects we've launched over the last 12 years, you lose track. Mm. It, it, and it's nice to, I think it's a lot nicer to, to, to have an awareness of what you want to be able to um, tell your children that you do. It's like, oh, um, or tell your parents that you do or have a conversation around, not just, oh, we did a thousand man hours this month. Mm. Um, we did, it didn't matter how many man hours we did, but we worked with an organization that, um, had a positive impact on the environment or a positive impact on mental health or a positive impact. Um, I suspect, I suspect some organizations are jumping on a bandwagon mm. and just doing that as a bit of a bit of a PR push. Um, but I mean, I think, I think people can see through that. I think that there's a lot of cynicism. So I think it's, I think it's difficult to get away with pretending to be um, purpose-led. 
Yes. Um, and it, it, that, that's, I mean, I'm talking from a, from a small, medium-sized enterprise. I mean, mm. I, I don't know what you're talking about, the, the bigger organizations. So some of the organizations you've worked in, Joe, do you think that there's still a case of some uh, are pretending to be purposeful or, or do you think yeah. the ones that are... Yeah, yeah, there's theater. There's definitely theater out there. I mean, like people do things, um, you know, uh, that if you've got a marketing team, you can always market that you've done a thing. It's whether you've done it or not, it doesn't really matter. It's just you can market that you have. So I do think that at times things are rather hollow, but I also think we live in a world now where that stuff can be snuffed out, sniffed out relatively quickly, and it also can be a double-edged sword. Um, you know, I, I think that you know the world is kind of screaming out for better, good, you know, better people, good deeds, good things, right? Um, and that when corporations kind of slow themselves down, or businesses, small and medium businesses, slow down to make those things happen, you know, those it kind of goes back to the point around it's not just about making money, you know, it's about impact and you know, and doing things that are of, of, of a value that go beyond just making money. It's, you know, it's about doing the right thing. It's about making some good decisions that are beneficial beyond just your profits and things like that. And when those things happen, you know, I generally take notice of that. Uh, you see it, it becomes something that's worth worthy of your attention. And I think in all the noise now, those stories rise up a bit higher um, because you can tell when something's a bit sort of bullshit, you know, give it the sniff test. You can kind of tell. It just seems like, yeah, all right, well, it kind of feels like you did a thing, but I don't know if it's all that interesting. It's just that you would have done it anyways, you big corporation. You know, you probably made money mm-hmm. doing it. You can always tell there's, um, you know, an ulterior motive to have been involved in a thing. Um, but sometimes yeah, I, you can tell when it, it's not. Yeah, I, I think it's hard. I mean, again, speaking, I'm, I'm sure it's difficult for large corporations, but speaking of the, the, from, from, from the small business world, um, you talk about you think about ups and downs, and um, when you're on the up, it can often be a lot easier to <laughs> stick to your mission and your vision and your values. But there's always a downside, and I think it can be very difficult sometimes to um, um, stick to those principles when you're in a position when you're facing potential redundancies. Or mm. um, it's like, well, do you stick to your, stick to your guns and let ten percent of the team, twenty percent of the team go, mm. or do you maybe adapt those and hunker down and try and get through that sort of down patch um, and, and if, you, if you do have to do that how do you communicate that to the broader team you, you may you may communicate the message around one thing at one point in time but mm. you know, I think that that, that, that awareness um, I guess the, again that's about awareness if, if people are aware you're doing a certain thing for a certain reason that's mm. one thing whereas if people think you're just doing a certain thing for a, for a profit driver it might, might be another one yeah. but um, yeah I think it is I mean I find it with the situation with COVID it would be interesting to see how many businesses um, can adapt quickly enough and how many businesses um, um, can weather the storm mm. um, and what they, what, 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 what change be for that. And, and also how much it will make people sit and sit at home and, and reflect um, in terms of, yeah, it, it, it is easy to throw yourself into work, but it's almost like um, an awareness of, well, maybe this is forcing me to be aware that my, 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 my fitness isn't as good as it should be or my health isn't as good as it should be or, yeah. um, or, I, or I don't have a hobby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe it will force a lot of people to um, reflect. I mean, I don't think it's reflect too much. You can begin with navel-gazing, but I mean, I'm hoping the next few weeks will be, there'll be a lot of positives. People will spend a bit more time with their loved ones at home or maybe mm. making, connecting with family overseas when, uh, I don't know, from, from, from my, my, my own um, situation um, from from the UK. Mm. Um, you're a time zone. It, you're busy. You come from work. You've got dinner. You've got kids. You've got homework. It's hard. You've got time, and then you forget, and then weeks go by without making a phone call, and it's and you justify yourself. Whereas if you can adapt a little bit and, and, and be a bit more 
um, conscious of when's a good time or, or um, yeah, so I'm rambling a bit there, but I suspect the, the current climate with the C19 will um, hopefully will change around um, society. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that we're going to have good stories that happen. Um, you know, there's gonna be a lot of bad stories. I mean, I, you know, I saw in the ABC website that they're estimating at least a million people have lost their jobs already in Australia, which is insane to think about. Um, cause mm-hmm. I don't even saw that the, um, my gov website went down and they, they did a, said that it was a DDoS attack, but then they've had to backflip on that and say, sorry, it was just the pure volume of everybody trying wow. to run the system. Um, they didn't wow. wait for the investigation to come out, uh, before they announced that in the news. So the guy had to go then back in and say, I was wrong. It was not a DDoS attack. This is the it volume. <laughs> it was just the volumes wow. of people trying to get in there. Um, they're estimating it's already in, you know, upwards of a million people that have lost their jobs. It's like, you know, so there's going to be some pretty horrible things. But, you know, at the same time, you know, it's like I think I, I was just saying, you know, we've been kind of gifted an opportunity as well as a society to stop and, you know, go home and, you know, kind of lock down a bit and figure some stuff out. Um, you know, the government is giving us, you know, sort of conditions to say, no, no, we have to do this. This, you know, you kind of have to go home and yes, there'll be the shit that people lose their jobs, which is hor- horrible. You know, I mean, that's really shit. Um, but at the same time, they're also put, pumping cash into the economy and giving people those opportunities to take advantage of that funding. And there, there are areas where, you know, it's really just going to come down to wh- what are people doing to pay attention to the information? I often equate it to careful where you drink your water, right? We live in a world now where you can be very disillusioned by where you get your information from. You can be, you know, programmed to look at the world in a very specific way through very specific lenses. You have to be mindful of where you drink your water. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, bits that I catch now where people are saying, yes, you can take this perspective, but actually if you look at it from another angle or you change your perspective on this, you're going to find that you're going to actually be able to find the information and make the right decisions to help stave things off. And the amount of advice I've been giving people of recent around, no, no, please just go read this information, what the tax, uh, the tax information they're going to do, the way that you're going to be able to operate your business in a different way, the way you can get cash incentives to, you know, pay for your staff in the short term. Like, as long as you read this, you're going to be able to find a way to kind of stave off some aspects of the pain. And maybe it won't be as disastrous, but um, oftentimes people are kind of wired through different information and they don't, they miss these things. Um, yeah, and I think it's easy to dramatize. And, and yeah. I did listen to a really good podcast or, or a news um, snippet uh, from a doctor in, in, in the UK. And he was basically the message is look, everyone at the frontline staff, we're in the hospitals, we're trying our best. All we're asking you to do, we're not asking you to go to both, we're asking you to go home, <laughs> sit on the settee, watch your big TV, mm. and eat some home delivery food. Yeah. I mean, and again, to, exactly to your point, though, that, that there is a lot of horrible situations out there. So sure. I'm, I'm not trying to who aren't in a horrible situation, myself included, mm. I just I've got to go home and sit, spend time with my family, and stay home. It's 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 not <laughs> it's, it's not a prison sentence. Now, for a lot of people, there is, there is, there is, there is, it is um, a very fortunate situation mm. currently where, where, where my impact and um, you focus on me is in t- me, the focus of me and the team at work is in, in ensuring that we operate in a way that is uh, responsible and sustainable. So, as a business, we can get through this. And we don't have to. It's mm. redundancies and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and um, the announcement this morning, the government announcement, yes, there's some, the, 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 there are some positive uh, tax uh, tax support coming out, which 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 applies to which, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, it's 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 not it's not World War Two, but I, it's almost like you, you find. It, but however, it, although it's not World War Two, it is one of the most impact um, occurrences since that time 
on a global society scale. Mm. Um, just that involves less killing, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe the trick is for us to all to be spend some time self-reflecting and sort of and and just sit down and meditate and self-reflect is it's great, but it's it's easily. I don't know about you, Joe, but I, I've tried it. But sometimes you you miss it. You, you your days are your days are full. You're busy. You're being yeah. stretched one way or the other. And the cliche, yeah, it's everyone makes their own time. They make some decisions. I think that is true to degree. Mm. But sometimes life does get in the way, and you've got to be up at a certain time. You've got to get to a certain time. You've got to get on a train at a certain time. You've got a meeting here and a meeting there. And um, I, I, I find it hard to stick to stick to looking around. Um, journaling or self-reflection or meditation, yeah. whereas maybe the next say I don't know how long six to twelve or how long this, this, this thing's going to take you, um, you can close it up in the spare room or sit in the garden and find that time. Whereas um, I've always found it difficult to do that in, in the working in the working environment where you're you're in the city and you've got meetings, you've got calls, you've got emails, and there's there's always a a, a job to be done. Sure. Um, whereas I mean I, I think for myself I'm going to try and Try and instill some, or reinstill, or, or uh, reinstill some um, good habits around a diet, mindfulness, that type of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. would you have any tips for tips from your from your perspective, George, in terms of things that you've done in the past that you think you'll be able to do more of the next so, week or so? So, one of the things that I've focused on for a long time—not that I'm some expert in all this—but I'm very good at saying no to people. And, and I don't mean that in like the sense of that I walk around saying no all the time, but oftentimes I'm very good at saying no under the disguise of that's not ready or this isn't the right time. Um, let's, let's find a time. And it's always uh, offering a no with a solution uh, to kind of find that moment. Because normally the reason I'm see or what I believe I see happen is, is that people that overcommit and have no time in their lives, so say they don't have time uh, and legitimately have full schedules um, are often just at the becking call of many people telling them that they have important things for them. Um, but if you have the ability to kind of exhibit a leadership whereby you say, look, um, I need to also take care of myself. Otherwise I'm just not going to be able to do this job well enough. Uh, I need to fight for both my own sanity and all this, uh, as well as getting all these jobs done. Um, I often find that the art of no is, is the best tactic. And because <laughs> what is important to one person isn't necessarily as important to you and maybe trivial or not as hard to solve, right? Um, but they need you for a level of dependency uh, to ensure that they're making the right decision or guidance or leadership, right? And so, yeah, being able to say no to people, I've found, has been very freeing. Um, not everything needs to be solved today and um, or immediately. It could be solved later or it could be solved tomorrow. Um, you know, So having that sort of radar and being able to kind of disguise the let's do this later with a, you know, or let's disguise no with a let's do this later has been pretty helpful because I know as a fact that if I don't get exercise on a regular basis, my motivation to solving my problems and going through my day job starts to fleet and that my mental clarity slips. If I'm not getting the right amount of sleep and eating the right food, my ability to do things slips. And so I need to make sure that I'm both operating at the highest capacity for the people that are, you know, working with me as well as for myself. Otherwise, you know, you, you'll start to get a little negative. You start to get a bit more, you know, negative towards people or grumpy about a situation. You know, things creep through that, you know, feel like they're out of control. But in reality, when you're overloading yourself because you're saying yes too often or, or taking on too much, um, you know, and all those things slip away, you, you just, you're not going to service it anyways. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great, I think, I think it's a, it's a great tip. I know that's one thing that I'm terrible at saying no. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's perhaps by virtue of my sort of job function, which is sure. a, 
sort of sales or relationship, but still, mm. I, I have found myself, you say yes too much and then you start resenting. You say yes 10 times and you resent the 11th yes, yeah. where really you should have said no to three of the first 10. Um, yeah, because I think one, one thing I've learned is, is, is I'm going a bit older is, is, is sleep, for example, is, mm. is a massive thing. Maybe when you're younger, you can get away with less sleep and there's an age thing, but for me, if, if I don't get to sleep, that just wipes, wipes, wipes me out for the day. Mm. Exercise is becoming more of a more of an important thing. Diet is becoming more of an important thing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I, I will sort of saying those is a great thing. And even this, even this last week or so, um, I found that there's quite a few people um, reaching out for people who are in sort of looking for work or looking mm. for new jobs. And in natural tendency, try and want to help people or solve problems. And yeah. I found myself maybe trying to avoid avoid the no or avoid the yes. Yeah. As opposed to, uh, why not just say, look, I, I can't have that meeting with you this week because of this reason or that reason, or maybe I'm not the right person to have that conversation with. Mm, mm. Um, and then again, I mean, it, it, it's tricky though. I mean, even earlier in the podcast, I mentioned that uh, article that like, caught serendipity. And I've always thought, well, you never know. Every conversation, you know, every person you talk to is sure. a, an opportunity. So I think, I, I think I've probably been spent, you know, spent too much time on that end of the spectrum of, well, you never know, let's say yes and let's meet everyone, let's talk to everyone. Mm. Um, whereas sometimes I think that can be quite um, self-defeatist really when you, I, I, I think maybe it's a reflect on that. It's, well, for me personally, you find, I find myself resenting doing something mm. that's maybe indicative of saying yes to too many things beforehand. And the, the thing you resent doing is perhaps the one that you should be, you might have the most value to add. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, that's the balancing act. I mean, I think there's a certain amount of your radar that you still have to deal with, right? Like you you obviously have a thing that you're doing by, by going through and taking all that information on. But the art of saying no isn't about stopping something. You can easily back out of it. You're in control of it. So if you say no to somebody, say, no, nah, I got to do this later. If somebody's calling up saying, I, I need time with you today to talk through this, you could say, oh, I don't have time today. Uh, you offer that solution, uh, like the constructive solution back. I can talk to you in two days. And they say, oh, they normally back that up with a more rational reason you can push them to give you more to get you to commit to a yes but if you're always saying yes and just kind mm-hmm. of going for it that's when it's inundating that's when you've got so many things and you start to regret things about what you were doing um so i'm finding you know it's it's i it's i'm known for somebody who says no first like that is what people say you're not going to get that out of him he'll say no to you uh, but ask him anyways because that's the way that it is with him and so i just often yeah. start with no and then go all right now tell me why um, because you need to articulate why. Don't bullshit me. Let's really figure this out um, so we can come up with a real way of doing it. But that's a very production-related thing, not necessarily relatable to you, but I feel like we can easily do it. It's just you know you, you have to kind of have that ability to offer value back in a no, saying, well, what about this, though, to kind of make it work for them. And oftentimes I'm cutting people loose and saying, go solve this. Come back to me in two days. That'll that'll get us closer than me telling you in the meeting in, in an hour. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good tactic. I know, but also I can't do it now. Maybe we can chat in a week's time, and then if that person hasn't found an alternative solution to that issue within a week's time, then uh, or, 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 or I'm sure often their thinking or their uh, where they are in that solving that problem would, would have progressed. Where, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's 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 a good tip to mm. a good tip to take away. Yeah, I mean, and that goes back to what we were talking about. You know, we we have the gift of working with people. 
right? And and knowing people and understanding people is, I think, part of our jobs to, you know, because we're not, you know, like you show up every day and you spend more time with these other people than you do with your own family, the ones that you choose to be with, right? And it's like, you know, you, you have to figure out ways of working with people and understanding them. And, you know, in that experience, you know, everybody's got their own thing, right? And, you know, there's this quote that I, that I read um, not long ago, which was very interesting to me, which was very much, or this, this sort of, philosophical perspective type thing and it was very much centered around the idea that there are so many versions of yourself there's no single one version that's the same because everybody that knows you has their own unique perspective of who who you are as a version of you which is counter to each other which is also counter to what you see of yourself which is also counter to the people that don't even know you that just see you on the street so there's all these views of who you are as a person. People are bringing these to you, saying, this is what I already am kind of carrying to you as a baggage of what I believe who you are to get you to engage with me, and which is counter to who you are as a person anyways, because to truly know any one person takes a lot of time and effort, right? Um, you know, to really get it, you know, more times than not, we're cutting corners and kind of just in- engaging and trying to have a common ground and commonality and make sure we work well together. But, you know, it's a very yeah, unique thing to think it- about. Yeah, and it's not. Am I have a term wrong? The Jahari window. So if you come across that term, it's no, I haven't. What no. you know? I think J O H A R I. It's what you know about yourself, what you know about other people, what other people know about you, and oh God, and oh, what nobody knows about you. They're two by two great. Um, and yeah, I think there's lots. I've come across that a while ago. There's lots of tools out there, which is, um, and I guess sometimes you can drown in <laughs> drown in self assessment tools. But yeah, I think that's the. Um, I think that that's an interesting one to do because it, it's. It, I think it's, it's often hard enough to know yourself. Never mind. Um, never mind. Know somebody else or suspect somebody else knows you. And and, and the, the, the amount of information gaps we have as human beings is huge. So you'll mm. you'll fill those gaps in um, based on heuristic heuristics or, um, or best practices or, or um, um, previous experience. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it, it, it is difficult to. Um, yeah, that, that that sort of journey towards self awareness is is interesting but challenging it's lifelong it's i don't think that there's ever an end game i I think you're always working at it um you know it's Mm -hmm. like uh you're never going to get necessary you're never going to achieve like well i don't know i guess it believes unless you believe in enlightenment i don't know if i necessarily believe specifically in that type of concept but i believe that it's it's a constant journey that you're always on and every day i'm learning something a little bit more about who i am so long as i'm paying attention to it um yeah and then that's beneficial to me, because then when I go out into the world, there's less of me carrying my own shit around. Um, and I'm able to engage more openly and, and be in that present moment with other people that are trying to fight through their own shit. Cause ultimately everybody's just trying to get home for dinner, you know, like that's, that's the end game, right? I just want to get home for dinner. I'm happy to work hard here in the moment, but I got a lot of shit going on and you never know where anybody's at in their day with where they're at in their life and what's going on with them truly, unless you ask. And, and even then that can be daunting. Um, because you know, you don't know what to do there, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's interesting if you, if you're more attentive to what the moment is and what you're able to do with the moment, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, it kind of goes back to being able to say yes, being able to say no, it's all part of that moment and, and having, being empowered to do so, I think is what I believe we should be doing with each other. You know, I'm happy when people say no to me, I'm like, cool, well, wouldn't, what, 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 why no? And what are we going to do with that? and I'm gonna I'm gonna attribute it to the wrong person I think it was Abraham Lincoln but I might be wrong and I'm, I'm probably gonna get the quote not quite right but the, the gist of it is um, apparently said 
I don't like that person. I'm therefore going to get to know them, that person better. Yeah. You're constantly trying to get to know other people. And it's very easy to say first impressions or such and such wasn't pleasant on that day or they behaved that way, but it, everyone's got their own journey. And I think it's constantly um, being aware that um, people have people have their, their their own shit going on, really, and they're, you don't know what their personal situation is, their work situation, their mental health situation. Um, and to sort of cast someone aside because you had a negative interaction once, twice, or three times, I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a limit to how far you want to um, tolerate negative behavior but sure. yeah I, I think i think that i think the two things are important one to be constantly self-reflecting and trying to be aware of your own self but also be aware that maybe you should do the same for other people to, mm. to a degree as well mm. yeah that's good man that's a good one that might be a great place to um, stop paul that might be good all right well well at that point i, I, I should go and actually find out whether it was abraham it might be it might be an oprah winfrey Oh, uh, it could be that. anybody. I think it's the sentiment, the sentiment that counts, right? Like, I think it's, it is, it is, it is it about is. what you put into anyone, you know, sort of interaction, right? The amount you put in is what you're going to get out of it, too. So if you sit mm-hmm. on the edge of it and let it ride and just go on those impressions, and it's going to be less so than giving it some depth and trying to figure out a little bit more about why that person is the way they are. So, yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, I really appreciate you taking time today. You too, Joe. Nice to um, nice to chat again, and um, we will hopefully catch up again soon. Yeah, well, we'll have to gr- grab a beer after the apocalypse. So, <laughs> all right, mate. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you Thanks, soon. Cheers, bud. Bye. 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 And there you have it. That's uh, Paul Armstrong. Uh, you know, it's interesting when you think about life's journey. You know how you go from sort of this state at which you know a thing or you understand it from one perspective or you you birth from a moment uh, and then you evolve. You know, I was thinking about this just today around how, you know, you you kind of evolve your thinking through experience and exposure to things over time. I was watching um, this reality cooking, you know, competition and, um, you know, so these great chefs and, you know, the question come up to the point where, you know, how does one become a great chef and what do you have to go through to get there? Um, You know, and, you know, there's all all these different experiences being presented to you from these different people. And, you know, what struck me uh, was as one person's journey was is that they quit everything, sold everything because they had gotten to that point where there was no creativity left, that it was flat. They needed something to effectively shake the tree. And they were putting themselves in a whole, whole different uh, environment to to create that spark. You know, to a certain degree, it resonated with the conversation of this interview I had with Paul. And it feels, you know, like, you know, he had had gone through a lot of that and, and is very aware of the experience, um, but is still seeking those other things, those other experiences in those moments to create that spark in those things again. You know, he kind of brought up how he could have done it. You know, may not have done it all the same way looking back retrospectively, but I think the point is, is that, you know, you have to go through exactly what you go through to gain the knowledge that you need to get to keep moving forward down that path. It's an interesting life we all get to have. And really, with your eyes open and being present and open to it all, you're going to gain the most from it. It's frustrating. You know, it's shit. You could look at it and get a, you know, and you're going to have a bad day or a bad week or whatever. Um, but it's how you look at these things. It's your perspective. It's the the way in which you perceive that situation and move through it. It's your ability to shift gears 
and um, you know, and be aware of your surrounding, be present in the moment, to give yourself to the people you're, you know, you're with, and to expose yourself to a certain degree to whatever it is that experience is giving you in that moment. Can't change the past, and you certainly can't shape your future specifically, uh, but you can ride in that time uh, and and get as much as you can from that moment, so you can evolve with it uh, as your life should be—a constant evolution. Um, so that being said, it's it's the end of this podcast. I uh, want to call out that it's the Michael Jordan of my podcast, the number 23. I know there's a certain uh, Nathan that will be appreciative of that if he even listened this far. I will know via text message uh, uh, at some point in the next week that he had. Um, and don't forget, if you are in a shit spot and you need the help, reach out. I'm going to list all those things in the show notes so that people can get a hold of them uh, if they need it. Uh, It's a tough time for a lot of people. And if you happen to be one of those people, do seek the help you require. It's not the end of the world. It is not the apocalypse I joke about, but it is a tough time and I get it. And I feel for you, and I hope that you're doing what you need to do to get through it and not just press that give up button and try to eject that seat. Um, There's plenty of help in any country that you're in for the most part. I I suppose I should clarify that as the Western world. I I know there's varying degrees of help elsewhere, but I'm not savvy on that. Uh, I'm a very white man in a Western world, so I only see somewhat of it that way, uh, which is kind of weird and shit. But anyways, whatever. I think the point is is that (laughs) there's varying degrees of help around the planet, and you should go out and seek that if you need it. Um, Otherwise, reach out in your community. I mean, um, there's I, I think it's time to be compassionate. So, you know, if people need help, safe social distancing, but help. Do what you can do. Um, don't buy that toilet paper if you don't really need it. Don't buy that food if you don't really need it. Come on, people. Get your fucking shit together. Anyways, uh, I'm going to sign off uh, because I've been trying to ship this uh, podcast for a few days now, and now I am done. Uh, thanks again, everybody. I appreciate the listening. I know that it's tough times, and I wish everyone the best through uh, the months to come and that uh, you're persevering through it all with uh, a good growth, positive mindset. Um, I hope everybody has a great day, month, and uh, we'll talk to you guys in that next one. Thanks, everybody.